Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have uh, one of my favorite guests ever coming on. I've been really waiting for this one for a long time. Yeah. And uh, I'm, cool I'm really one. excited about it. His, uh, his name's Kurt Oblinger. He's a uh, old school motorsports photographer. Yep. And he wasn't a professional. I think he did some stuff for Porsche and he did some stuff here and there, but it was always just like a passion project for him. And that's another one of the things that I really like. So we're going to talk to him about old school motorsports photography and what it was like in the back in the day going to Riverside and going to the Can-Am races and uh, stuff like that. Also, he's got a really great. He has some cool stories. He's got a great personal story as well. Um, we're also going to do some listener news. Listener news? Some listener questions. <laughs> and we're going to get into some news as well. I mean, well. I suppose that's news about our listeners. Yeah, it's, well, it's, yeah it's, I suppose that's probably Before true. Before we get to any of that, though. Be sure to check us out on patreon.com slash overcrest. You'll be the first to hear new episodes. See us live. Sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> when we get that figured out. Um, you also will get some really cool swag from us, including a t-shirt. Chris just uh, printed up some new ones of those. And also a signed print by Chris if you go into the higher tier of our supporters. That's right. And you're, we're gonna hear we're gonna hear about that print later from one of our one of our listeners. He's called in and left a comment. So excellent. And uh, bottom line, if you like the podcast, your friends will too. So spread the word for us. We really appreciate that. And if you could hop over to iTunes and leave us a five star review. I know we don't have a contest going for it right now, but hop on over there. Helps us out in the standings and the rankings. We're actually starting to show up now. I know, which well, is that's great. Good. Yeah. Well, for a while we're new. We're the new kids on the block. What are you gonna yeah, do? No, I know. We're not exactly new kids on the block anymore. So now we're starting to show up on the charts a little bit, and that's kind of awesome i'm i'm kind of excited about that so, yeah it's it's good seeing the fruits of your labor pay off a little bit one more thing that's coming what's that is i have like this t-shirt plan um, right. i'm really really excited about it it's called the Vroomsday project Vroomsday. do Vroomsday. you want to describe that a little bit or explain well, that? well i think everybody kind of knows by now how i feel about tesla autonomous cars <laughs> and the and the death of the combustion engine and stuff like that so i think Vroomsday kind of speaks for itself and i kind of got the idea from the doomsday clock right which is like kind of like this not-for-profit organization that keeps track of world politics mm -hmm. and they always have this this doomsday clock that ticks either closer or farther away from midnight apparently when we hit midnight we're all dead we're all like steaming radioactive which ironically that doomsday clock will never hit midnight because <laughs> if it you know what i mean like if yeah. you're gonna hit midnight that means they've already been well like, maybe when the missile's destroyed. on its way the guy's gonna be like <laughs> updating <laughs> like, yeah, the website <laughs> The last thing he does. <laughs> Eileen, I have to go to the office and update the doomsday clock before that missile gets here. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so I, I came up with Vroomsday as kind of like uh, the death of the death and uh, but almost like, engine. yeah, but it's almost like a rebellious thing. So it's kind of going to be um, I don't want to get into too much yet because I don't have the, the shirts here. Right. But it's kind of like this post-apocalyptic petropunk. Petro punk. I haven't heard that. I like that. Yeah. So it's kind of this. That was actually one of our one of our listens. Ryan said that term to me, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool. Petro I gotta punk. steal that." So I'll give yeah. him credit. I've for seen it. some because he the... probably listens. He's like, "Hey, that's my term. I came up with that." But yeah, so we're gonna do um, some t-shirts. We're gonna. I've got a couple decals that we have. We're gonna do some hoodies. I've got about five or six designs. Um, my what friend, is, what is the difference between a decal and a sticker? I think a sticker is usually like paper. Okay. And you put it on, and you like try to take it off, and the paper like sticks to things. Okay, but a decal usually comes off, right? It's usually vinyl or plastic or okay. something like that. So higher quality stickers. Well, we're doing decals. Yeah, the decal. Okay. Decal. So we're gonna have some. We're gonna have some decals. We're gonna have some hoodies. We're gonna have some shirts. I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, um, I've, I've seen some of the artwork for this, and it just cool. yeah. We've got about five or six designs. Jason Henry is actually the artist that's been helping me with this. He's incredibly talented. Just out of this world, an amazing artist. So he's he's really excited to get rolling on it as well. So. 
Yeah. So beyond that, what's been going on with you this last week? I sold the 996. Woo! The first guy that came to look at it bought it and drove it away, I, which I figure would happen. The car's pretty nice. Yeah. So it's the problem is, is that the battery was junk. Okay. It sat for like a month and a half or so before I, before I drove it again to like make sure everything was still fine because I didn't I didn't ever drive it. I drove my blue car. Why would you drive a nine nine six when you can drive right. a hot yeah. rod seventy two? So I went to start it that morning. Got up. Click 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 click. <laughs> You've been waiting for that, haven't you? <laughs> I oh was like, God. wait, I have a soundboard for this stuff. Oh, okay. man. Yeah, there All you right. go. Yeah, so um, <laughs> did that even show up on the recording? I don't know that it did. Maybe it did. Anyway, um, so it was like click, 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 click. Battery was dead. I was like, oh, my God. So I, I jump start it, and I leave it running because I'm like, well, the battery has to charge. He mm-hmm. goes, test drives it, says he wants the car, gives me the money. We sign the title, gets back in, click, click, click. Oh, click, no. <laughs> I'm like. What was that? That was my computer doing other things because now I have my audio on. You are a, you are a naughty boy. <laughs> um, so he uh, it was click, click, click. And, and I'd already gotten the money. I'd already gotten the title. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man. So I'm like, all right, well, let's, I'll show you how to open the hood because you have to like, you know, you pull this I don't even out. know how to do that. So when the battery's dead? There's no latch. Right. You can't just pull a cable on a 996 and open the hood like a right. normal human being. You have to it's go, all electric. You have to t- open the fuse panel right. and pull out this little red thing that's got like a little conduit program on it, like okay. a little little thing. And then you can basically clip the, the jumper cable onto oh, this little no. thing. Oh, no. Are you serious? And then you hook it onto the door latch. Oh. And then, but the battery was so dead uh-huh. that uh, th- th- it couldn't even open the hood. So I had to like put the battery thing on to, to even open the open the hood it was just it was, it was really really dead anyway so i got it i got a jump started again for him showed him i did i'm like hey man here's an extra hundred bucks for a battery yeah you know i'm sorry whatever That's nice of you yeah and other than that it, it ran great so um i uh i was gonna drop my car off at the body shop with you today but as you know the roads were covered in salt but I, I was driving around today. It doesn't seem no that that's, bad. I was giving you crap about this. It's like, okay, so you you thrash your car. You don't worry about scraping on bad roads. You don't care about rock chips or gravel or anything like that. But a little bit of salt on the road, you're like, losing your mind. That's just because it, that's akin to like um, like if you you love having sex with your wife, right? You have wonderful sex. It's great. Okay. It could be rough. It could be nice. Whatever. It's your thing. But if you start beating her. That's where you draw the line. That's, but I'm that's saying, a problem. No, I'm saying that, no, that's such an ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> the salt is, like, ambiguous. Like, no, the, why is that? The salt why destroys the car in a way that ha- there's no redeeming quality to driving the car in salt. It actually, it's ex- exactly like beating your wife. You, it's you're not taking care of the car. You're you're abusing it in a way that what is not the, beneficial what to if anybody. The car deserved it. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm gonna have to have your bride listen to this podcast. Oh no! All right. So this coming from a liberal too. <laughs> oh my god! I just I was perfect. I had to. He set me up for it. So anyway, so I'm probably gonna Overcrest have to, does not condone beating or anything oh, like that. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> so um, I might drive it down there tomorrow or the next day or something i'm gonna look at the traffic cams because i posted on facebook i was like oh yeah there's salt everywhere ice right. blah, blah. i'm like oh shit i'm not gonna do it it was bad this morning i'll say either that or i'll just have it towed down there i don't know just whatever which i think seems ridiculous why i have triple a it's free yeah why not then i don't have to drive all the way down there or bother you to pick me all the way up or pick me up all the way down there drive back to the studio blah 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 we'll see, we'll see what it looks like next wednesday right um, whatever so with all this salt and everything winter is finally here it so, is i know and i'm 
instantly upset and angry. I, and I, and I, I barely had to deal with anything. So I've had this conversation as well with some of my friends. Daylight savings was just a week or two ago. Which doesn't make anything any better. It's so depressing. Because you are like in the afternoon, all of a sudden it's dark out. It's like, well, at 6 p.m., might as well go to bed. Well, you drive home from work and it's dark. Exactly. You leave work and the sun is like leaving. Right. So your day is over. Literally, (laughs) that's how you feel. It's like, well, my day's over. You don't have any energy to do anything. It's like, oh, you're like punching out and the day is done. It's just too That was it. Go to bed. Well, just get up earlier. Get up at like 4 30. You and I both are not morning people. No, no, I'm not. So that doesn't work. No. No, I actually think because of that, they should go the other way for daylight savings time. I don't care if the sun comes up at 9 a.m. That'd be great. Don't all the, I'm don't all the tractors just drive around on them by themselves? GPS yes, only. exactly. They're all robots anyway. Yes, I know. The old thing is like, oh, this is for farmers to Robot, like Robots don't need lights or savings. whatever. But yeah, I, it's dumb. So I, I, was, uh, I had to take the snowmobiles off my trailer because I was going to go pick up a, a couch with the wife. Okay. And I went to unscrew the, there's the skis sit up front of the trailer and then there's yeah. like a yoke that goes over the skis. Okay. And then you uncrank this thing, which tightens the yoke on the, on I the skis. No, it was called a yoke. Yeah. I just I like the it. ski crossbar pulled down. Well, I would assume it's a yoke. It looks exactly like a yoke that would go on two cows and there's two skis and it goes over <laughs> okay. the thing and it holds them in place. Sure. So I, okay. I think it's a yoke. Well, maybe someone will tell me that I'm wrong, but I'm not. Anyways, so uh, you're... The Rut- screw thing the, yeah. was so seized up. And this, I sprayed WD-40 on it and everything before, which I probably should have just put anti-seize on it. But anyway. I was going to say, so I was you, using a, do, what did I tell you? Y- yeah, I know. You love grease, but. Just glob the thing up with grease. It would never rust. Anyway, so it was rusted, which would okay. not happen if I was south of Missouri. True. And I was just like pounding but on it with a hammer. But then you would have snowmobiles. <laughs> That's true. So, That's a good point. so I was trying, <laughs> it took me like 10 minutes to get this stupid one out. It took me 10 minutes to get the other one out. Yeah. And then I went to like there's like a bolt that it's a tip trailer. Right. So then I went to take the bolt out of that which was fine. I put it on finger tight. Yep. And that's rusted. Well, that's I'm because like, you used on. in in your de- not in your defense, I guess to play devil's advocate, you used the wrong like tool or component there. That should be a hitch pin latch. To be fair, I lost that, and this was like one of the last times I took the snowmobile out. I had right. to like walk to the hardware store and get a bolt so I could even go home. I got gotcha. you. So I got a bolt with an eyelet in it, so I could at least put a wire in it, mm-hmm. so it was safe. So but anyway, so I got that done, got everything <laughs> off the trailer. I start to drive the trailer. It's like boom, 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 and it the 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 tires messed up. So okay. it's like shaking the trailer violently. Yeah. I'm like, eh. <laughs> that'll work out. As soon as I, and the trailer lights weren't working okay. because of course all the wires get brittle because they get filled <laughs> with salt and brine. So okay. all the wires were brittle. So I had to like fix a few of the wires to even get the trailer lights working, which I seems like I have to do every single year. Can someone yeah. please design trailer wiring that supple and can survive in the environment? Please. Please, half of the country I think this is like an opportu- a marketing opportunity, a business opportunity for somebody to just make trailer wire that doesn't suck. Because you go into Farm and Fleet uh-huh. or you go into Menards and it's all the same. It's green, white, brown, right. yellow. Whatever. And I don't I would say most people probably don't have trouble with that. They, every trailer I've ever had, these wires get brittle and old and they suck. Even if you rerun the wires uh-huh. two or three years later, they're brittle and they they it they don't work. I haven't had that problem. Every time with every trailer I've ever had. That stands taller than you saying you've never had the problem on probably one trailer you've had for your boat. That <laughs> I've you, had a couple different trailers, but yes. It, it drives me crazy. Anyway, so I got that fixed up. Uh-huh. So then I'm like, I'm driving down to get the 
the stupid couch uh-huh. and I could see the trailer like vibrating. <laughs> like yeah. it had like a frequency, right? It was like, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I can't really feel it in the truck. Right. right I mean, so it's, it's fine. It's fine. I get there. All the screws had backed out of the wood and the wood was like super <laughs> like cattywampus on the trailer. A bunch of the screws were missing. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, oh my God. So now somebody's got a flat tire because of this piece of crap trailer. Oh, sure. Because you're just littering screws out on the freeway. At least five sure. or six big sheet metal screws. That was nice of you. I feel awful. Someone is going to get <laughs> stranded. They're guaranteed. So, all so the, was it like the, was the tire flat spotted from sitting? The pressure or? was fine. So it must like the belt must have separated inside. Maybe it's flat spotted. I'm like, well, by the time I get there, it'll be fine. Right. Because sometimes no. they do run out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. I thought it would get better. But no, the stupid put the couches on like some weight will help. Sure. They're heavy ass. Like there's a bed in the couch. It's a big, huge. Uh, what is it? Sectional. Yep. It's, it's going to be fine. So I strapped it down uh-huh. on the wood to keep the wood sure. attached to the All trailer. Good. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just I'm more violent and, and of course the trailer hitch i have is for i don't know must have been for my Touareg or something okay. i don't know so it's not a it doesn't have enough of a drop so the trailer is tilted oh, back yep so as it's going yeah, I can so see you them. needed my beefy uh big trailer hitch that i use for the truck that's adjustable no i just needed to buy the correct one in the first place okay. so anyway i'm like I look at it, it's like slanted back, so like, and, this, and as it vibrates, the couch, oh, I'm sure the couch is, like is sliding off the back. <laughs> and so then I had to like adjust the ratchet straps to a point where it would hold it. So this whole time I'm driving, and Jess is just like, I know she's just like mad and freaking out or whatever. Yeah, and it's and it's raining, so I've got tarps with bungee cords and everything. That sounds like such it a was, mess. It was an absolute disaster, and it's just like winter. Why? Why? Why do I live here? Why? What is the what is the sole reason? It's family is it really when it comes down to the honest reason why I'm here is because of family I don't and some friends. But besides that, there is no reason to be here. None. Tell me a reason, Jake, that you want to live here. Low living costs. High, if the taxes are high. Our attorney general beats his wife. What do you want from me, man? Everything here is sucks. It is a reasonable cost of living. It is not a low cost of living. Okay. Low cost of living is like Georgia. Sure. But then you have alligators in your pool. So and it's like snakes and scorpions and stuff like that. So there's none of that. So there's no evil bugs because they all freeze and die. People but, are nice. Yeah, they pretend to be. <laughs> I don't know. It's just I'm just so tired. I'm I know so tired of being, and I, it's not even started yet, and I'm already done, and I'm already done, and I just I, okay. But I guess the flip side of that is you could live in California. It could be nice weather, and you could still have a shitty trailer where your couch would be vibrating down the road. Yeah, but it wouldn't have a bunch of salt brine that had creeped up the wires, even though I put waterproof connectors on it. Use more grease, dielectric <laughs> grease. I don't know, man. Other grease. So I'm sure there's always a way to fix everything, but it's just just frustrating. It was a frustrating week. I can just tell. didn't didn't have a good time. Yeah. yeah. I uh the only I guess big thing this week car related was that my door latch is in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. We discovered We we <laughs> teased that a little bit on the Instagram story. Is that you when you dropped in. and broke your phone? Yes, <laughs> it is. I think you were actually on FaceTime with I me. I was when you smashed your phone in the ground. So basically your your doors are off axis. Like center axis rotated counterclockwise. Right. It looks like the whole door is kind of rotated like 
as if a clock face. You just rotate it. And I got some inside information of the work that was done on this car. Right. And it seems like it was not done on a, a jig. Right. And someone replaced the floors uh-huh. and the latch panels without supporting the car. Right. So there's probably, if the car was rusty and they took everything out and it was sitting there, it could have sagged a little bit. Right. And then they put it back together. And then they put it, it back sagged. together wrong. Right. So, and you also have angle iron on your rocker panels. Which so that, you would think would make it straight, actually. Well, if it was crooked and then you welded the angle iron on, then yeah, it's straight, but not correctly straight. You know, it's just <laughs> wrong. That would be called crooked. Crooked, I think is, sure, okay. So you've got your work cut out for you on that. I think mm-hmm. that you should just drive that thing to the body shop, mm-hmm. drop it off and say, fix this. Just just fix it. Just make it right. Get rid of this angle iron. You know, you could redo the floors yourself, maybe, but it would be really nice. I mean, it was probably going to cost you, you know, five grand. Just drop it off at a at a Porsche shop that's reputable, and please. Make Where, where's that? I would probably take it out to a place in Wisconsin that does all of Aaron Hatz's builds. It's probably not going to be cheap, but it would be absolutely correct. Yeah, I can't remember the name. Tri- David Trichel's the guy. I can't remember the name of his company, but you could call him up and just say, "Hey, he, 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 I don't know if you'd want to work on that car or not." <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just think that it would be beneficial we'll see. to have a professional I, put the door latches in the right place. Well, I want to see if I can just adjust it you can't. to get it right. I don't think that you can. I could slot it. D- yes, you could do that. But you have to keep in mind that the door is a structural part of the car. Right. So when you're jacking it up and the doors are shut, you know, it's that slotted thing that you're thinking about doing might shift or move. It just does, it doesn't sound like a good idea. It sounds, yeah, that sounds like some, some backwoods bad news is what that sounds like well yeah okay sorry i'm I'm not trying to rain on your parade no i know but i we'll see i'll get to it i'm gonna enjoy the car as is yeah i think that's fine too i don't think anybody's really gonna notice too much unless you point it out to them anyway other than the (laughs) thousands of people that now know yeah probably shouldn't (laughs) be discussing this this much there goes the resale yeah whatever you'll fix it that thing has a a huge potential of value as a hot rod so I, know. I think you've you've got some some but, good stuff coming. Right. So I bought some turbo parts for the car. I, I went, know you I did. Finally, so you sold the nine nine six and you immediately had that money holding burning a hole in your pocket. It was on fire. It was literally on fire through that's the money. The, that's the only way I can afford to do things parts. is I have to sell other things that I have some sort of equity position in okay. to be able to like roll the money into something else. Right. So I bought um, the fuel distributor. Uh, okay, so that's like a CIS component. Yeah, C- the continuous injection system, the, f- the fuel distributor, which basically distributes fuel. Right. Believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and then I bought uh, the in- another intake manifold, okay. which I don't need, but it kind of came with it. So I'm just going to probably try and sell that and make some of my money back. Sure. And then uh, some other miscellaneous CIS parts, the injection lines and that kind of thing. So are you so- planning on like completing this project over the winter? I would. We'll see how collecting parts goes. Okay. You know, I got to get my transmission back because I got to sell that. Sure. So I have to sell my. I got to take that apart. That's going to be back I on Friday. You, oh, so you're going to repair your old transmission to sell it? Correct. Because okay. I want the aluminum. Yeah, the aluminum transmission is stronger and taller gears. Right. Which for what I'm doing will be great. Sure. So I got to figure out that. Plus, I have to figure out. I talked to um, Brian over at Rarely Late. Okay. Which is he, they're the ones that make Rarely Late Motorsports. They make the M and K muffler that I have. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah and and it he sounds says, familiar. It's a cool name. He says that they can um, they can make uh, a, like a turbo pipe or whatever that'll come off my SSI heat exchangers. Oh sure. Because I don't want to do like race headers or anything like that. Yeah. I like having heat. Right. You know, it's really that makes nice. Sense. So they can just so kind of custom that, make some. And I, 
and the other trouble I'm running into is there's like a zillion turbos that you can put on this thing over because it's the same type of design all the way through the 993. Okay. Like you can, I can get a 993 3.6 liter K29 or whatever it is. 993 used twin turbos though. In 1994. Okay. It was one year only. It's a bigger turbo. I'm pretty sure. So 3.6, 1994, one year only. Maybe it was the Turbo S used the twins. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm, someone will probably, I'm sure Lewis is yelling at me right now that I'm wrong about <laughs> something with this. I don't know. Uh, 993s are not my thing. Right. But anyway, this I'm just going off what I was reading on the internet, which is always correct, right? Naturally. Yes. Naturally. Um, it's getting warm in here now. I think they uh, we complained about I, the heat, and now it's like just blasting. Well, I'm, I just, can, I'm surprised you can't hear it. It's bubbling. Oh, I hear it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, anyway. So I got to figure out what turbo to get. There's like K27, K27X, K27S, K27-7200. And they all do different things. And they all, Or there's the 3LDZ that it came with. Okay. So I maybe well, will end up. Not that car. That car never came with well, a turbo. The 930. The 930 right. came Which with I might, this one. I might just get that. What's wrong? With, like stock turbo, stock boost. I'm 300 horsepower. I was going to say, here's, fine. here's the but thing. He, You're never going to be pushing the limits of that turbocharger. No, any but turbocharger. the newer tur- tur- turbochargers uh-huh. have less lag and spool sooner. Right. So that's kind of the, well, kind of the no thing. Fun. With it. So, All right. Well, that's enough about us. We're going to be right back with Kurt, and he's going to tell us some really great stories about uh, motorsports photography, and uh, I think you really enjoy it. Stay tuned. Hey Kurt, welcome to the Overcrest Podcast. We're really glad to uh, we're really glad to have you on. Oh, great to be on, guys. Glad to hear from you. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I had to, wanted to have you on the podcast was uh, the fact that you've been doing motorsports for photography for so long. I've been following your work for probably I would say years via different Facebook groups. You know, I always see people post things, and it's not always you, but I always see your little tag on the corner there that's got your name on it on all these vintage motorsports photos so i kind of you know i i talked to you initially i was going to try and find some photos of some old um uh some stuff of the some of the paul newman 935 stuff some of the 935 k3 stuff and uh then i remembered i should really have this guy in the podcast so we can <laughs> talk about motorsports photography but before <laughs> before we get into that too much i kind of want to know um the roots of you and cars where's where did it because obviously you didn't just all of a sudden decide to like cars one day where did that come from for you as, as a kid well, I grew up in Southern California, uh, in a little in, in a part north of LA called Studio City, which amazingly has movie studios in it. Hmm. Um, so, kind of in, in a very upper middle class area, and there were people in the neighborhood around who drove interesting cars. Uh, and where it started for me was uh, like a lot of kids my age to that era, and this is we're talking 60s now. Um, plastic model kits. You know, sure. it was a big thing to build plastic model kits, and you go down and get the AMT 3-in-1 and do all that kind of stuff. That wasn't just and, 60s. Uh, I mean, I did that as a kid, too. You know, maybe it was just because yeah. I was raised by my grandparents, so maybe it was like a generational thing. But I always had model rockets, and I did cars and stuff like that, and, you know, that's that was definitely a cool thing to put together. Yeah. And then the the other thing that kind of came, came along that really did it was slot cars. And sure. slot car racing became a real big thing. Um, in the later 60s, it was real hot, and that kind of died out in the early 70s. But that was so cool is that you could get this. And I, and I had like a, a cock chaparral. So I had a perfect miniature of a chaparral car, and you could go to, and there were three or four tracks close by. You could ride your bicycle over and, you know, 20 minutes for a quarter or whatever and run these cars. And that's what really kind of got me 
uh, going. And my brother also. I had a brother who was uh, four years older than me. So a lot of things he was getting into, I was seeing. So, you know, when I was 12, 13, he was 16, 17, and his group of friends. Sure. So um, was that something you did competitively? Was that were guys like hot rodding their little slot cars and running like a little extra uh, uh, voltage on the on the motors or something <laughs> like that was or was it pretty straightforward? Yeah, my my brother did that. My brother was actually into uh, hand building motors and hand winding the motors and stuff. I never got that deep into it. I was just I was really kind of enamored with uh, with having a car that looked scale and realistic. I think that was more the you know the model building side of it. So what scale are these um, when you hold them in your hand? How big are they? They're like twenty fourth scale, so they're maybe like eight inches long. Okay, so they're mm-hmm. a little bigger than you know when I grew up. Yeah. The slot cars were like I was say they were like size. Hot Wheels. Yeah, yeah, that HOs. Was... Yeah, that was HO size. No, these were like more like a model car. Like uh, uh, most of the diecast models they sell today are eighteenth scale, so they're a bit smaller than that. But it was big enough that you could like. It had a driver figure, and you could like oh, actually cool. paint paint a face on him and stuff like that. that that's, that's pretty <laughs> rad. So where and then how, also go ahead. Oh, yeah, and then other things happen is that you know when we were interested in, in the slot cars and stuff like that. So then you buy some magazines, you know, like Hot Rod or, or Road and Track or whatever to see what the real cars look like. And then another memory that I have is. Um, my dad was interested in racing. I was actually born in Indianapolis, oh, and so the in family blood. moved out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the family moved out here when I was when I was two. My dad was born and raised in in Ohio, and then they lived in Indianapolis for a while. And our house in Indianapolis was actually not that far from the track. And they tell me that you know in May you could hear the cars practicing hmm. from our house. And my dad would go over there uh, on practice days, and he went to the race a few times. Uh, but we went down. I can remember going with my brother. Uh, we went to the L.A. Sports Arena to watch the Indy 500 on closed-circuit television. Oh, funny. Because they didn't broadcast it on TV. They had a big screen, and they broadcast the, the TV or the, the signal. And that's the only way you could see the race live. What a what a change from today where you can watch anything you want anytime for free. Yeah. Basically. I mean, totally. It's, yeah, it's totally. insane. And I mean I've told some of our other guests that uh, have been around a while that it's it's almost too easy for us all the information and the and the access to the stuff that we want versus you having to like go by you slot have to cars. Seek it out and yeah, then, to slot know. cars out of catalogs. You know, I didn't Yeah. That's or like you said, you know, you to to research what these cars look like to get them correct. You know, you got to go out and find a magazine that maybe this car is in or something to that effect. Yeah. So what? And if you if you wanted to learn anything about racing, you know, you'd you'd get Road and Track magazine and you'd read a race report that was three months old. <laughs> <laughs> that would never stand today. So how did you end up doing? With with photography, what was uh, how did that start? Were you let me say this? Were you into photography before racing, or did the racing kind of did you want to take pictures of the racing? Is that what started it? It's, I wanted to take pictures of the racing. I first started going to racing. I didn't really have much interest in photography at all. I got a camera uh, for high school graduation in 1974. What was What kind of camera um, was it? It was a Ryko, and uh, it was a decent camera. It was basically the same. Sears sold the same camera under their brand. Okay. But it was just a basic 35-millimeter match needle uh, SLR. Sure. 
And uh, so I had that, and I just kind of messed around with it a little bit. But um, actually, the, f- the first race I went to, the first pro race I went to, was 1972, the Can-Am at Riverside. Oh, man. And and I, I did have a camera there, but it was my, I borrowed my sister's pocket Instamatic, which I don't know if you've ever seen the film of that, but like the film is like a quarter inch wide. Yeah, there's not much there. <laughs> it's just like tiny. And I was just, I just had it. It's like, well, I'm going to this thing. I should take pictures. And I, you know, just shot a couple pictures. And I go back and I look at them now and I look at one or two of them. I go, you know, this isn't too bad (laughs) (laughs) for what it was. Sure. Um, what was just, uh, what were the Can-Am races like back then? I mean, f- uh, we we go to like some of the vintage races now. I was born in '81, so this all all mm-hmm. this stuff happened before before I was even around, or when I was just drinking out of a bottle or walking around in a diaper. <laughs> so w- I look back and I see the Can-Am stuff now. I'm like, wow, that stuff is insane. But it must have been crazy back then to see these huge cars just with huge power doing these things that no, no cars were doing. Nothing was even close. No, it's it, and it was. It was really, it, it was overwhelming. And I, I have these, you know, these clear kind of like little snippets of memory. And one of them is being there. And I, I went there. I didn't even have a driver's license. I talked to a friend of mine from school named Bill Keene, who had access to his mom's car. And I said, let's go to this race. And we drove out there, and just bought a general admission ticket. And we're standing at Riverside, at turn six, which is the the far end of the course. On, on the inside, just standing at the fence, you know, with tons of other people. And the place was filled with the, the huge crowds. And we'd been there for practice, and, and the cars would go around. And these are these, almost all of them were, you know, big, big block Chevys. They're all 454s or bigger. The McLarens are running 510s wow. injected, and these big ground pounders. And this was the first year that um, Penske was running the Porsches. And they're running the 917 10s, the turbos. And those things were so different because you'd have a big McLaren coming through and it's just this all bass and thunder and you know, just amazing sound and you'd feel it. And then the Porsche would come through. And as I tell people, it says it went through and it was like whoosh, whiffle, 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 pop. <laughs> whoosh. So was it, was it almost like is it almost like we're feeling now where we think about the the V8 and the V10 F1 cars and now they're hybrids and we're kind of like wow that doesn't sound the same is it kind of like a was it a good whoosh whiffle whiffle pop or was it disappointing compared to the other stuff It was really it was really different um, I, I wouldn't call it disappointing but it, the one that really struck you is just how bloody fast these things were and at at turn six you could stand at the beginning of turn six. And you could look all the way up track, up what they called the S's, which was kind of down in a valley. The, the, they, the, the crowd areas were kind of raised up on the sides. And down in the, the center of this valley almost, the S's would come up, and it was a winding part, and it would come up. And then they'd go through a little left kink and then sharply uphill. And then that was the beginning of turn six, which was a 180 that went around and back downhill. But watch him come through the S's, and the fast guys were taking it flat out. And seeing how they could just change direction, and it was it was otherworldly. It was almost like it was you know you see CGI stuff with like Star Wars and things maneuvering that way. It was <laughs> it was unbelievable. So what was and, um, uh, when was the first race that you went to with your SLR camera? 
And what was that like in comparison to taking the Instamatic? You must have must have been quite a contrast. Yeah, and I have to think back because I know if you that, can't remember that's okay. I'm well. I'm trying to think with with my SLR camera. I think I went to the the Formula Five Thousand race uh, at Riverside, and I think that was seventy. I'm going to 75. It would have to be 75. Um, and I looked at the photos I got from that and I just look at them and go, these are terrible. <laughs> Cause I really didn't, I had the camera, but I hadn't figured it out. I really hadn't started learning it and learning Were you getting books exactly. from the library or how did you learn, you know, you weren't professionally uh, trained in this. So how did you figure it out? Um, I got tips from my dad. My dad had actually been a camera bug when he was younger. He grew up in the 30s. Hmm. And I didn't really realize how deeply he was into it until uh, after he passed away, I started going through his stuff, and I found boxes of negatives of photos that he took. And some of them are very good, uh, artistic photos uh, from the 30s. And But then as life went on, I'm the youngest of four kids. So you know, by the time you have a family and four kids – you know, you're so busy with just life that a lot of your, your hobbies go by the wayside. So he gave me some instruction on, you know, the basics of working with, you know, aperture and shutter speed. And I did, uh, uh, I remember I did take a class, one class in uh, uh, junior college. Um, and just, just a, kind of a lot of a hit and miss. And I think I did read a book or two. So but when I shoot motorsport stuff, I, I shoot fast right you, you know you got the cars coming past and you're at like a a 60th or whatever of a second and you try to get them in motion and you go click 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 and you're like well i maybe one of those worked so back then doing <laughs> film it must have been like you go through the process develop the film and go shit none of these worked <laughs> it must have been much much harder the learning curve and the disappointment but also the reward of when you finally got one that was good yeah, exactly. And uh, there's so many times that once I started getting the knack of it and you you learn that you could come up to a particular situation and go, you know, because the way the cars are going by or whether if you're doing a panning shot, the basic rule of panning is a 125th of a second. And then it's just how much light is there for what the uh, what the aperture is. And then your film speed, your your uh, IS, what they call ISO now, you know, that was that was whatever film you're using. I was usually using Kodachrome, which was 64, which is kind of, kind of slow. So I knew that, that I could walk up here and says, if I can have, you know, a 125th of a second and I've got a fairly good aperture around F8 area. And if it was bright sun, it'd usually be closer to 11. So that's, that's kind of a sweet spot. And I know that I can get something good. Sure. Then if you start experimenting, and like you said, you do That's where it the gets fun. of a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you dial it down. It's okay. Let's try this. Let's try this. And I, you at don't Rensport, know. I was and, doing a, like a 15th and it was probably one out of every, I don't know, 25, 30 shots was like, that's almost in focus. And uh -huh. when you're panning, and I was using a 50 <clears throat> millimeter lens. So you're, as you're, as you're panning the camera across the shot, different parts of the car are closer or farther away from you so you are moving at a different speed or if you're rotating the camera mm -hmm. a little bit with your hands all of a sudden you only have like half the car in focus hmm. so it starts yeah. to get really really hard the slower you get but you get some great results if you do get it uh-huh uh-huh and back then it'd be the same thing and you know, you'd experiment burn a roll of 36 
well, I hope that comes out. And then <laughs> two days later, you get it back and you go through and it's like, oh, it's all junk. Throw it in the trash. How, um, how, that, I mean, how did you end up keep how did you keep going and stay motivated? It just, oh, wow. I just I had to wait. I went all the way out here, did all this work. I waited two days. And now it's no good because I can just look and go, oh, that's junk and just delete it. But back then it was, how did you keep going? Well, I, mainly it's, I loved racing. I just, and when I went to the track, I wanted to go to the track. I wanted to go to the races. And then while I was there, you know, that's just what I did. I thought, while I'm here, I want to try and make these photos and get these images that I'd see like in the magazines or on, you know, the, the posters and the catalogs. And I said, I just decided I wanted to try and do that. And you have, as you go along, you have little successes. You know, you get one that says, well, that's pretty good. And then you get another one that says, well, this is working out pretty well. And maybe it's one out of, maybe you get one shot that's really good from the whole weekend. But it's kind of enough. So you, if you were in California, you probably were around the Monterey Historics. What was your first time like going there? Oh, okay. <clears throat> the first time I went was 1977. And, you know, these days they call it car week. It wasn't car week. It was, it was car day <laughs> or car weekend. <laughs> and the, the whole, and, and this is kind of like, you know, uh, when you're talking about your, your journey to rent sport where the journey was really the thing. And then the event was almost secondary. This is kind of what that ended up being. So I was literally sitting around in, uh, in a Denny's restaurant with, with three, three or four friends, and we'd just gotten back. We had found a place. We'd actually joined a club that still raced scale slot cars. And we'd come back from that, and it was like 11 o'clock on night on Wednesday. And the guys at, that we were slot car racing with, which were all older than us, were talking about the Monterey Historics. And I guess we'd, I'd heard about it, and I'd seen it in road and track, but it just wasn't really on the radar screen. But the way they're talking about it says, well, this sounds kind of interesting. So I was sitting there in Denny's with these guys, and one of the guys is a longtime friend of mine. I see him all the time, named uh, Dave Bazoglu, who uh, happens to run a Porsche shop. And Dave's an interesting guy. He had um, – we are sitting around, and we started talking about the historics, and he says, that sounds fun. I think we should go. We have to understand this is Wednesday night. It was the next weekend. It was three days away. <laughs> okay. So he's like looking around and kind of in the, the, the people there, there's kind of like, you know, in any group of friends, there's kind of like a pecking order. Sure. <laughs> and in the pecking order, I was actually kind of at the bottom, but everyone else already had commitments that weekend. So it came over to me, and it's like, he looks at me, and he literally, he goes, says, so what are you doing this weekend? You want to go? I go, <laughs> sure, absolutely. And then he, and I remember this like yesterday, he looks at me and with a perfectly straight face says, great, bring cash. We might get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, good thing he, did. Why, he told you that after you'd committed apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and there's so, so, there's so much backstory to this. I could probably talk for two well, hours you, just about. You have to. What is he talking about? <laughs> Bring cash. You're going to get arrested. Did you need the cash? How about that as a question? Well, okay. The next part of this is he says, "Come over to my house Friday. We have to finish putting the car together." Okay, Dave. He had, 
and uh, he was a Porsche guy, um, but um, his family was from from his family was from France. He had a lot of connections in Europe, and he had convinced his dad. Uh, Dave was several years older than me. Uh, he convinced his dad. He had this idea. He said, "Dad, you know, you can buy these good cars in Europe pretty cheap." Says we could buy a car, bring it over, and do what we need to do: turn around, sell it, and make a profit, and then you know do that maybe once or twice a year. And his dad said, "Okay." So he went to Europe uh, in early '77, and uh, through some connections, found a fairly nice, clean uh, Ferrari Daytona coupe. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> Bought it, brought it over. And in those days, and this is the day of gray market, everything that came in had to be legalized. So it actually had to go through the legalization process. They had to put catalytics on it. Mm-hmm. And this was an early model, and it had the covered headlamps. He had to take the, the, the covers off the headlamps. He had to put – he found clever ways of putting side reflectors on it that you, he wasn't drilling holes in the body or anything. He actually put bicycle reflectors in the end of a piece of PVC pipe and – put it under the bumper with a, with a hose clamp or something, but he had had the, he had taken the interior out to clean it all up because it was just messy. They just gotten it back from the uh, legalizers and gotten the, uh, all the paperwork signed off. So he says, come over Friday night. we got to finish putting the interior in the car and then we'll leave early Saturday morning. So I did that. We go over Friday night, put everything together and we finish up about, you know, 1am. And he says to me, he says, I'll be at your house at four. <laughs> <laughs> so I go home and just throw some stuff in a bag and throw my cameras and I maybe slept an hour and I, w- I was up and I was like sitting by the front door how old are you and at I could this just time? Hear the, what? yeah just like uh, and I could hear the car coming up the street <laughs> <laughs> I bet go out we pile in and it's dark still and we go bombing up uh, the 101 <clears throat> and the first place we get to is we get up to Santa Barbara. It's a, so we go, it's about 90 miles from where we were in the valley. And we pull off as well. And he's watching the gas gauge and the gas gauge is like, you know, just like plummeting. It's like going really fast down. <laughs> and we weren't really going that fast yet. Um, so we pull into a gas station to gas up and it's just getting light. And he's gassing up the car. He pops the hood to do the usual checks and he's over on the driver's side. And I walk over on the passenger side, and I'm looking under the hood, and I go, Dave, you really need to come over here and look at this. Oh, boy. And we look down, and when they, as part of the legalization process, they run the car for a cycle on a chassis dyno. I guess the vibration of the thing running on the chassis dyno had loosened up the banjo fittings on the six carburetors. Oh, And there no. was dripping fuel. And the valley in the cam cover where the spark plugs are, was full of gasoline. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's like, ah, we're just like, oh, my God. So did you just so we grab go, a bunch of rags and soak it up? We're, we get paper towels and whatever, you know, when you get the paper towels for cleaning your windshield, we're soaking everything up and getting up. And then he, he scrounged up a wrench, and we tightened up all the fittings and started it back up, and, okay, I think we got it covered now. So we take off. We're taking off. We're going back up to, up to 101. Better fuel economy now. And <laughs> better fuel economy now. And it's like you're going along, and it's like the speed keeps creeping up. And it keeps creeping up. 
And back then, this is 1977, the traffic was nothing, nothing like it is today. Early in the morning on even on a main highway like like that, it was really empty. So we could actually, there were stretches where we couldn't see another car, front or back, on any side. So there were places where we went, you know, kind of fast. <laughs> Can you describe kind of fast? How, what are we talking about here? Um, well, back then, the, the national speed limit was 55, so we tripled that. Oh, boy. <laughs> you were moving. You were moving. Assuming that the speedometer was semi-accurate, and it probably mm-hmm. was. Wow, that's, that's and, an incredible story. And so we're going up, and one of the, as we're going up, there's a section where there's it's two lanes each way, up and down, kind of like rolling hills. And we're going up. And we crossed a hill, and as we crossed a hill going north, we look over, and a highway patrolman is going south. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you know, eyes get big as saucers, and it's like brain waves are crackling through the air. <laughs> we go over the hill, and I'm turning around looking behind us as the cop goes over the hill. And just as he goes, just about to drop out of sight, I see the roof lights come on. Oh, no. And... Dave was mentally, you know, he was just, he was already three steps ahead. He had at first jumped on the brakes and downshifted. And then as soon as the guy got out of sight, floored it (laughs) and just blasts up. And we went up maybe a half a mile. There's an off ramp up to the right. And at the top of the off ramp was just a a lone gas station. Rockets up the off ramp, pulls in to the actual, behind the gas station which was closed down it was it was behind the building so we couldn't be seen we get out of the car and we actually were like walking up to the peeking around the building to look down the road to see if the guy's coming and for some reason he never came after us but it was oh, like wow. <laughs> i wonder if he put his lights on and it was like ah fuck it <laughs> and he just got out of sight he never even turned around he just was like ah never mind yeah god not, i hope so i'm not catching him in this ford ltd or whatever yeah. he was driving that was probably yeah. the bigger issue <laughs> wow um so what did you guys end up doing at uh the historics that that weekend with that car did he race the car what was the what ended up happening nope. he just we basically just drove it up there and you know, again to, to show you what the time was like we had no reservations so we just rolled up to Monterey. We pulled off on, on Fremont Street, one of the main drags. Third motel, vacancy. <laughs> Got wow. a room. You know, now you have, to, you have to book a year ahead of time. Yeah, there, absolutely. There are rooms available, you know. Then we go, we go over to the track and pulled in and bluffed our way into a good parking spot right behind the timing tower. And we wow. walk over and we walk over into the, into the paddock and we're just walking around and it's like, it was like unbelievable. You know, you, I, I, you look at cars and magazines and stuff and even old books and it's like, there's a type 35 Bugatti in the flesh. Wow. And there's a, there's a GTO and there's a 904 and there's a real code and all this stuff. And it was just nutty <laughs> cars that you'd only ever seen. And, and they're there in the flesh. So did you take any pictures of this Ferrari? Did you, yes, I did. Yeah. I, I know I, I, I have them. I have to I actually have to kind of find them, but I have them. I'd love to, I'd love to see one to have it to go along yeah. with, with, along with the story. Um, so yeah. how did, so over the years, um, racing evolved, did it still move you as it got into like the late eighties, early nineties? Was it something you were still into or did, as things changed, did you change? 
I loved it. Um, my favorite years were uh, the MC years. And uh, so that ran, for me, that ran to 87. And what happened is, is that Riverside Raceway closed down. They closed it down, turned it into a shopping mall. Just a terrible, terrible thing. And that was the main venue. And I still, I also went to all the Formula One races at, uh, at Long Beach. And they stopped racing Formula One at Long Beach in 83 and went to IndyCar. And I went to a few IndyCar races uh, in the beginning there. And just kind of a couple things happened is that it, it, it became more difficult to go there and get decent photos without a pass. Sometimes I could get passes, sometimes I wouldn't. It was really hit or miss. And then the other thing that happened is that I really got enamored with the historics and with the old cars. And my, my thinking was is that if you take a picture of a, you know, a beautiful 50s Ferrari, two years from now, it's still interesting because it's a beautiful 50s Ferrari. Mm. With current racing cars, if you take a picture of a, a 1985 spec Lola IndyCar, two years from now, nobody cares because that's, well, that's two years ago. What do you got from this year? Sure. So it seemed to be that in, in terms of being able to try and market and sell stuff, the vintage stuff had more legs. So, so I kind of gravitated to that. Over the years, do you have a favorite photo that you've taken? Is there a story behind it? <sighs> there's several, but there's one that, that stands out for several reasons. <clears throat> and it was at Long Beach. It was 79. And walking into the track, and I'm pretty sure it was Friday, uh, Friday morning, and it was first practice, and at what they called the Queen's Hairpin, which was the after the long straight, they did a 180-degree turn and, and from one side of Shoreline Drive up to the other side of Shoreline Drive. So it was the, one of the two hairpins on the course. So it was really slow. And I found a spot where in, in just the general crowd area, and they had tall, the crowd fences were tall. They were like seven feet. But it was close enough to the track that I could, I could reach it with a lens. I had a 600 millimeter lens and it was a mirror lens. It worked like a reflecting telescope. Sure. And it was a, it was a wonderful lens, except that it, it was, if you hit it, if you got a picture with it that came out, it was spectacular. But if you didn't hit it, it was either great or horrible. And there was no maybe. So the consequences for failure the crowd were high. I'd burn, I'd burn rolls. I'd burn a roll of 36. And if I got two or three, I was doing good because the depth of field with that lens was so shallow. It was literally a car length. So did you so, have to pre-focus where you like, the car's going to be here and I'm going to exactly. focus there. And then when it came by, you would try to hit it right when it got there. Yeah. You'd see, you'd see the line they were taking, see the track they were taking, focus on the spot. And then as the car came through, you'd try, you'd have to follow the car. And when it got to that spot, trip the shutter. And so it was a lot of timing. And then, you know, not everybody took exactly the same line every lap. So the shot that I got, and, and to get over the crowd fence, there were some 55-gallon uh, oil drums. And some other people had figured this out. And we were standing on top of these oil drums. <laughs> and we'd get up there. We could get above the fence, click off a bunch of shots, maybe shoot a roll. And then you'd hop down, let another guy get up 
and you kind of cycle through and do that. And I maybe shot two rolls there. One shot I got, um, it was Gilles Veneuve in the Ferrari. And he came around, and it's almost a dead-on shot, but he's got the front wheels are cranked over because he's in the middle of the hairpin. And the lighting is very nice. It's kind of soft, but the colors are nice and bright. And he, he typically wore a, a clear visor on his helmet, and you can see his eyes through the visor and the hand on top of the wheel. And at the same time, he had just passed a car. So there's another car kind of just behind him off to the side following him. And it's Tambe in the, in the McLaren. And it's just everything, everything about it just worked. It's, it was centered properly. It's in focus. It's got good motion of what's going on. And another reason it's special is that I something I started doing back then, if I had a really good shot of somebody, I'd have prints made. And then I'd try and get them to sign it. And I was able to get Villeneuve to sign a print of that photo the next year. And I have that. That's one of my little treasured possessions. So, so that one's really special to me. I'm looking at it right now. It, it is. I was I was able to find it here, Kurt, as you were talking. Oh, okay, great. It's a nice shot. Um, so do you remember when that photo came back on film Did you and you looked at the negative? Were you just like, Yes. I mean, was it, it must've been pretty emotional. If that's, if it's still moving you today, it must've moved you then. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I always shot slides. So you get the box of slides back sure. and you pull them out and I'd, I'd hold them up and you have a, a, you know, a magnifying loop. So you're looking at them one at a time. Right. And you go, and yeah, I can remember that. And it's just like, yes, I hit it. I hit it. Nice. <laughs> that's always, that's always a good feeling. The thing for me is I get to see that Right immediately. Away. I don't have to. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't oh, have. Yeah. To, I don't have to wait. Um. So as you look through motor, have you been to a current motorsports event and tried to shoot it, like any of the new IMSA stuff, or given it a um, try? I've the last couple of two or three years or so, I go down to. Uh, I've been down to Long Beach uh, for the IndyCar races, and I go down on Friday, and I, I just like you can get a cut a free ticket out of the paper. And the nice thing about Long Beach, and it's still a little bit true, um, is that they're a little disorganized on Fridays, and sometimes you can <laughs> also the crowd's smaller. So sometimes you can kind of find little places you can sneak into. Um, it's, it's not that easy anymore. It used to, back in the day in the, in, in the Formula One days, Fridays it was almost a free-for-all sometimes. <laughs> I think everything you in the 70s at F1 was a free-for-all from what, <laughs> yeah. I, from what, I, from what I look at. It was great. So, but, what, do you, um, what do you think about the future for motorsports? Is as we go on here and and move into you know hybrids and electrics and everything like that, does any of it excite you, or is, are you looking forward to any of it, or is it all just kind of rearview mirror at this point? I still like it. I watch every Formula One race. I'm, my feelings are mixed on Formula One, and you read a lot of the forum stuff and the fanboys, and oh, it's terrible and this and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's still racing, and it's still a spectacle, and it's still exciting. Um, some of the races are kind of boring, but every once in a while, one will pull out, and, and, and something will happen. It kind of rekindles it. Um, I like IndyCar racing also, simply because it is really pretty much really competitive, even though it's a, really a spec series. Uh, sports car racing, the current IMSA, uh, not so much the prototypes. The prototypes seem to be kind of uh, hit or miss that they run. I mean, they seem to have trouble getting a decent field of prototypes sometimes. But the GT cars, 
still, yeah, they're fantastic. still do it for me. Yeah, for sure. They're fantastic, and, you know, they have good races. And if you watch Petit Le Mans, you know, just a couple weeks ago, they're running 10 hours, and they're still hammering away at the, the last lap going for a position. So there's still a lot there to like. Um, well, let's let's hope it stays hybrid, that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, the, with the hybrids, um, it's a technology, and it's some of the screwy rules that they have. Like they have a rule now: well, you, you use too much fuel, you're penalized. It's like what? Right. You use too much. I, that does, I can't get that. Or you know, some of the other things. There's just that takes it away. Some of the the stupid rules and penalties really get to me well i think it's been i think regulation and everything is kind of stacked up over time you know a lot of stuff probably makes sense by itself but as soon as you start stacking a lot of rules on top of each other over the years i think that's kind of where it starts to go to shit yeah and it's going back to the can-am days the original can-am i mean the rule book was basically one sheet of paper (laughs) that's awesome it was like it should be it was like four wheels two seats and i think (laughs) that was it and i think did you (laughs) You have to have a spare tire or was that or or not on those. I think sometimes you had to have a spare tire. That um, might not have been a Can-Am thing. Yeah, I remember seeing photos of the 917. That was the thing. That was, uh, yeah, that was kind of, uh, I think that in, in some European racing, you had to carry a spare yeah. tire sure. and, and things like that. Or like in endurance racing, you had to have room for a suitcase. Sure. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. In the 917s, there's a little box back under the 917 on one side for the FIA suitcase. And they have a... <laughs> What, no, what, are so what do you put in your FIA yeah. suitcase, I wonder? What do you put in there? Nothing. It's just, there has to be, because it goes back to the days when it was a road car. Hey, you got to put some and scotch so in there have or something. Suit, room for a suitcase, and that's why they had to have a spare tire, because it had to be right. a road car. Well, I would put some scotch and a hat, because you, <laughs> you never look great when you pull your helmet off. So if you had a little hat in there and you had a little bit of scotch, yeah. I think I think you'd be all set. <laughs> well, man, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was This was great. This is exactly what I had hoped it would be. And um, I, maybe we'll have you on again some other time to talk a little bit more photography. But I think that's all oh, we sure. have time for today. Yeah, and I really appreciate okay. your stories uh, from back in the day. That's what I really find entertaining. So I really appreciate it, Kurt. <laughs> take care of yourself, man. Okay, thanks, guys. Yeah, right, take, care. take care. Bye-bye. All right, we are back. I loved hearing from Kurt. That was awesome. I love the Ferrari story. The Ferrari story was great. And he sent us, uh, I asked him if he had a picture of that car. And right. he said, oh, I don't know. It's somewhere. You know, he didn't know if he could find it or whatever. But guess what? He sent it to me. Yeah. So we're, we've got it and we're going to, we'll post it up with, uh, with the episode announcement later. I don't know if he told the color, but I was, of course, when you say Ferrari, I pictured red and it yeah. was black. It was black. And he said the guy made a profit on it at $19,000, which I thought was interesting considering the thing's worth. Oh, yeah. How much million dollars right now. now? Who knows? I don't even really look because why bother? It's way out of my price range anyway. So moving right along, we have some listener questions here. We do. We have actually have a bunch, and um, one of them's quite good. Um, it's from RJ Price. He says, I'm asking this question with regard to your comments about independent and one-off car makers producing vehicles that are intended to, quote, look back at a time when cars were more visceral and engaging. I think he's talking about when I was complaining about Audi when they compared their new Q, whatever it is, Q9000, to the S, to the old no, S8. No, because he says the, the like, one-off. So you talked about the Jaguar thing oh, that was, right. like, electric or whatever. Right, and right, right. You're right. So those types. 
Do you guys think with modern safety standards and all the electronic gadgets re- required by consumers that any car maker can truly build and sell a car that actually engages the larger field of driving enthusiasts instead of just the wealthy ones? What I mean by this is a lightweight bare bones car with with that doesn't have to entertain the idiot factor. Are we overlooking less expensive cars currently in production that actually meet these criteria because we were so spoiled with horsepower now as compared to the 80s and 90s? So basically what I think he's saying is like, hey, are we overlooking things that are actually out there just because we're snobs? Uh, No. So here's my answer. I did some looking into this, RJ. And first of all, thank you for uh, the question and and your thoughts on that. So I I don't think anyone is really overlooking these cheaper cars. It's just a totally different market. So Chris and I both, I think, agree that given, let's say, 20 grand to buy a car, and I'll say that the cheapest car you can buy right now in the U.S. is the Nissan Versa, which is still going for $12,995. Terrible car. It is a terrible car. It's crazy. How much, do you know how much the Chevy Spark is? The Spark is just over that at thirteen five. I actually really like the Spark, the way it I've, looks. I've driven a Spark as well. What, I'm sure it wasn't the automatic CVT. Yeah, it was. It was a rental. Like I think that, just, that would be cool if you could put a little cool little engine in there. Made out like the Sonic. They have the Sonic RS, the Chevy Sonic, which is okay. kind of like the hot turbo motor. If you could put one of those into a into, into a, spark, a Spark, that'd be fun. Because I like I like how big the headlights are with how small the car is. Yeah, I suppose. And it's always these little wild colors and stuff like that. And I just. But here's the problem, Chris. So you have $14,000, and now you're doing an engine swap and everything else. That's $16,000, we'll say. You could, oh, God, it's going to be more than that. Okay, well, regardless, let's say you have $16,000 to buy a fun car, right? You and I would both go look at the used market. We'd pick up, like you did, a used 996 Porsche sure. or Mustang or Camaro or anything like outside our wheelhouse. There are a ton of cars that are really fun for that money, but they're not new cars. So right. when you're looking just at new cars, there isn't a whole lot out there. So it's an interesting topic to discuss. So you have to get a car that is new, currently produced in the U.S., that's fun and cheap. So I compiled a list of 10 or 11 of these. And I'm going from cheapest to funnest. And these are, I looked through every- Cheapest to funnest? Cheapest to most expensive. You're right. Not cheapest to funnest. And so I kept it under, like, most of these lists, because everyone has, every car and driver, um, like, there's issue a list. is, There's like, a list for the, everything. the top 10 cheap cars you can buy. So I went through all these, and most of them are lame. But I thought, okay, well, let's see what would actually be interesting. So the first one is, so like I said, the cheapest car you can buy right now is $13,000, and it's crap. The Honda Fit, I actually kind of like, is $16,000. Like I think they, they're that an attractive car. That at least you get car. a manual transmission. It's small. It's lighter. Do we know what engine is in that? It's a 1.8 liter naturally aspirated, I believe. It's probably a single overhead cam. I don't know. I don't know. I actually would like to drive one Not of those. A Honda I do guy. like the Honda Fit. I think they look yeah, cool. I've driven them. You can put like cool wheels on them and lower them. They look sporty. I right. Think, I think exactly. You could probably put some sweet wheels with, on or with sweet seats in there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, with uh, models keep like bloating and getting it bigger and bigger. This is like the old Civic, right? It's a new right. version of like that's the same size that Civics used to be. So that's cool. The next one, the one that I would pick, is we're already going up to twenty grand. There's like nothing in that sixteen grand range. What about a Golf is a golf anywhere. Golf starts. You're right. It's like 16 grand for a stock golf. I have a, stock, a GTI. A here. stock golf, a 1.8 TSI engine. You could chip that. You could have you're fun right. with it. You're right. I think you left that one out. I, I think did a, leave that I one out. I think a golf would be would fit in there somewhere. And even though, even so, at eighteen thousand dollars, I'm just like, that's a lot that's of money. A lot of money, right? Yeah. So next on my list, and this one would be, I, I highlighted the two that I would pick out of this list: the Fiat 500 Abarth Edition. Why? So. 
have you heard them? It's the fun oh, yeah, little great. like 1.4 liter turbocharged fun zippy car. I've driven a Fiat 500 manual. They're fun small cars like that. I think it's just a really fun car. It sounds good. They look kind of cool. So that's 20 grand. Are they have you driven one? Yes. And you liked driving it. I did. Yeah, I enjoyed how driving this, it. How's the steering rack ratio? Because that's what I feel is like getting left out of these small cars. Is uh-huh. that I feel like they should be like. Bing, 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 so I have know, a, like I have a really good like memory. Everything is your perception, right? Like I, I can't compare it directly to anything, but my perception of driving that car and it was a base Fiat 500 manual was really fun. But it wasn't the Abarth. It wasn't the Abarth. Okay. Because it was driving it in Italy through Italian traffic oh, and like grief. just fucking like running through the gears trying to keep up with these other cars. So That's I fun. really had a lot of fun in that car. So I like the Fiat 500, the Abarth even better because it sounds awesome. Well, we'll have to go drive one. The Fiat dealership's right across from Westside. Yeah. So we should go You're right. take one for a spin. That would be fun. Uh, next on the list is the Ford Fiesta ST. Which I really like. I like these I've two. I've driven one of those. Yep. And, but the trunk is so small. I mean, okay. it is, is useless. Really, it's totally useless. It's I. Just, You're I still can't. paying twenty two grand for one of those, right? How much is a regular Ford Fiesta? I didn't look again. Uh, what about just like you know a manual base Ford Fiesta? It's got to be like a decently slow car, fast kind of thing, right? I mean, those have got to be sixteen, sixteen, eighteen thousand dollars. Um, starting at fifteen. Okay, so you yeah. could get like a manual at like fifteen thousand. That's even a little cheaper than the Honda Fit. You're right. Hold on. I'm looking at your golf. Oh, what does a golf start at? Base stock golf. 18. 21, 8. Jesus. So it's like the Volkswagen has gone from being like kind of like the people's car to being like the kind of the people with money <laughs> car. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if you, you need to actually have a wallet for one of those, it's kind of. That's true. So, yeah, Fiesta base model you could do instead of that fit. Uh, next on the list is the Honda Civic SI. The SI is the cool one, which yeah. is now turbocharged this year. That's 24000 So all these other, this is kind of like the price range, the Ford Fiesta, Honda Civic, Mini Cooper, Ford Focus ST, are all about twenty two to 25000 Exactly. And the Mazda MX-5, the Fiat 124 Spider, Which is all, these are all, that must be the price point, twenty five grand. That must it. be what people want to pay. Exactly. And then, of course, you get a little higher than that. The uh, Fiat 124 Spider is basically the Miata. The Fiat 124 Spider Abarth is the really would you, cool one. Would you want the? But that's like twenty nine grand. Would you want the Spider, the Fiat, or the Mazda? If it's just the regular engine, I'd have the Mazda. Okay. Because I don't love the styling of the Fiat. I don't either. But the Fiat, where it has basically just the Miata, but it has the turbocharged engine, that's yep. cool. Sure, I'd rather have that. But well, that's more that expensive. seems like that's what I'd if. If I was going to own a Miata, I would need to have as much power as that one that has the turbocharger. Exactly. That's, that seems like that's how it should be. Beyond that, I didn't realize like the Subaru BRZ Toyota 86, those are still 26 grand starting price. So those are getting up there. For that, you can get a Volkswagen GTI. See, the problem with stuff like this BRZ is that it looks fast. <laughs> uh, yeah. These other ones are kind of like cheap hatchbacks, you know, right. with well, maybe a cheap fa- in quotes. Cheap in, in context here. Yeah. They're fast. I hatch- see what you mean. So if you want like a coupe, a sleek coupe that looks cool and is slow, you want the power <laughs> to back a, it up. Buy a BRZ if you want a slow, fast-looking car. Sure, okay. Or, but if you want like a hatchback that's kind of fun driving, right? And it actually um, is overwhelming instead of underwhelming. Mm-hmm. That's that would be what you would want to do if you want to maybe impress people or startle people. 
That's that's what I would do. I would not startle get. people. Yeah, I'm I'm searching for the right word. No, here, I know man. what you mean. But yeah, it's like more exhilarating than like a cool car that is slow. Right. So and then of course your Subaru WRX is starting at twenty seven thousand. Surpass 000. expectations, I guess, is what I'm saying. Sure. When people Over... when people see something and it looks like a BRZ, you're like, oh, that's a sports car. But it's slow, right? They're like <laughs> yeah. 150 horsepower or whatever they are, 180 horsepower. 180, I think, yeah. You know, oh, they're perfectly weight balanced. That's just great. But they look slow, you know, but it would be more fun to have a slow car that is kind of peppy and fun and yeah, surpasses expectations. I agree with you. So, yeah, those were all still really expensive because if you gave me like 25 grand instead of a Miata, I don't have a Miata because I bought that Hot Rod 996 before I would for buy, less than that. For 20, so, if you gave me 25 grand, I go straight to the nicest E39 M5 I can afford. Right. That car will kick the shit out of every single one of those cars on the list in class, styling, a lot of some of the performance. Resale? That's the other thing people don't realize. Buy one of these next year when you sell it, you it's realize worthless. how much you lost. Worthless. So I don't understand this. Why are people buying new cars like this when they can buy something used and better? Financing is a problem. So going to buy like a 2002 M5 or something like that, yeah. you're going to have trouble financing it oh. because of the age. I suppose. Because they assume they're not going to be able to repo it and make their money back. Plus, they're going to look at it being an M5 and they go, oh, parts are expensive. Can this guy afford to maintain this car? So it's, yeah. it's more difficult to finance older stuff like that. Right. This stuff is easy to finance. You can get 0%. I suppose the financing is part of it. Well, I probably really not realized. anymore. I know that the financing with the interest rates going up is becoming harder. Yeah. And I was reading that it's actually hurting New car sales are actually down a little bit because I see that. So it's it's the financing. That's why okay. people do it. I always thought it was or like warranty. warranty. It's yeah. got to be that part of that too. Yeah, like you know, oh, I don't want to deal with, I don't know, maintaining it myself. Maintaining and an individual throttle body V8. Yeah, I know. Like yeah, you don't want, yeah, most people don't want to do that. But I think if you just you know gave it a chance for twenty five grand, just buy something cool. You know, don't waste your money on stuff like this. I agree. And on that note, we'll move on. Thank you, RJ. All right, so Brandon Mensch says he was curious about gas prices. Okay. Um, gas prices and the high price of premium gas. I noticed recently how regular gas is dropping in price, but premium is not dropping at all. Might be a good research topic for Jake, a.k.a. why is premium gas more expensive? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually looked into this a little bit. It's kind of pretty straightforward. Sure. Um, it's always been this way, but the gap is increasing. So, so I didn't realize that. I always thought it was like, I remember my rule of thumb was like, it'd be 10 or 20 cents from 87 to 89. And then from 89 to 91, that's the way it's another like 10 or 20. Yeah. Cents. That's the way it used to be, but it's actually, the gap has been increasing because I didn't um, realize that more and more engines are requiring premium because sure. of direct injection, higher compression engines. Sure. Um, so the demand is much higher, which means the price of course is going to be higher. Cause back in the day it was like maybe 10% of cars required it. Now it's like 20. Right. 20% of cars require right. uh, the higher octane. Also, some of the additives um, in higher octane gas are being capped. Okay. So to make gasoline higher octane, they put different chemicals in it, like naphtha is one of the chemicals that they put into it. I didn't, okay. want, I didn't want to get too chemistry on this, but those are being capped but for the amount that Chris, you Chris, how put. does that lower our, our detonation point? What, naphtha? Yes. Uh, it just makes it so it burns at a higher, it ignites at a higher rate. So like lower lower octane gas has a has a, a threshold of like I don't know what two hundred and ninety four degrees or something like that like combustion okay. chamber temperature and then the higher octane resists detonation because it can uh, have a different like compression causes heat right sure, right so as as the, as it compresses up there if it gets too hot and the the octane rating can't handle it it'll detonate before sure is that right Were yeah you i wanted me i was testing you but i also wanted you to like get in the chemistry of what this naphtha is no, i don't i don't honestly i don't know no, i think that was a good explanation um it's a it just it helps with uh uh with 
Greater domestic production. I'll just read it. Sure. Greater go pro- ahead. domestic production of light crude has led to a surplus of naphtha, a lower octane chemical. So I actually had it backwards. Okay. Um, and they use different additives to bring the octane back up. Sure. But that stuff is being capped by the government by the EPA. Capped so they, as far as how much can how be much used? you can put in. Okay. So they have to do other refinement techniques, and it's just making it more. I wonder, ex- is that for like maintain quality of gasoline or it must because be something it's a with pollution? It must control, be. I'm sure or? it's about pollution. It's about mining that chemical, making that chemical. Sure. You know, I'm, I I doubt it's that much about what comes out of the tailpipe as much as it is, you know, the A to B process of making the gasoline. Sure. Okay. So that's basically it. Plus, of course, there's always gas station margins too. You know, Which they can always. I've always read gas station margins on fuel is so low. It is really low, but it's, premium, not always. There's really? always a little bit more margin on I premiums was, from what I could tell. I remember back in the day I was told they're only making like one cent a gallon margin and everything else is like that's why they have promos right at the pump where it's like come in and get your 99 yeah, cent hot dog. Super with mom's your, donuts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's where they make money. And that is margins. where they make their money, but the premium does have a little bit more margin okay. on the other Good stuff. To know. And especially if you're the only gas station there. Uh, they they can raise the price on that premium up. If there's a gas station across the other tr- other street, yeah. there's actually laws that say that you can't lower the price a certain amount below your competitor across the no street. No kidding. Yeah. So that's why when you ever you look, gas station prices are always this exactly the I same. I always thought it was just like like some gentleman's agreement between owners. Like let's not get into some price war no, here. We're both going to lose. It's a law. So. Yeah, huh. that's, that's great. Well, there you go. Um, James Pitt asks, hey, guys, my mate Anthony got me onto your podcast, and I'm loving it. Just wanted to know your guys' thoughts on drifting as a sport, um, and if, which I told him, hey, we had an episode on drifting. Already. Right, yeah, yeah. But if you had to pick an Aussie car made, what would it be? The show is Aussie great. Aussie made car. So our friends, friend James here and his buddy Anthony are Australian, which is really cool that we're reaching some listeners outside of the U.S. Agreed. Um, so if you had to pick an Australian made car... So I don't... I would take a ute, for sure. A ute? Yeah, one of those little ute trucks that looks like a car, but it's like a little... What are those things called? Right, no, that's... that's, Yeah, okay, well, that's not like a make of car. So what's the... It was GM's... Those are Holden. Holden. Holden 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 Commodore. Commodore is another one, right? Or a Monaro. I would take a Monaro. But they don't make that anymore, do they? Because... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Is Holden not a brand anymore? It was Pontiac, wasn't it? Wasn't like... No, no, no. Wasn't the Monaro and and a GTO like the same thing? It was the G8 GXP or whatever it's called. No, I was. No, I remember G- people taking like the Holden stuff and putting you it on just their re-badge. GTOs. You'd be re- rebadge your GTO with a little right. tiger or lion or whatever it is. Whatever that they the have Holden on. thing is. Yeah, I don't know any other Australian car makers. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. We'll Sorry, to, James. Yeah, I didn't. So we'll take our Holdens. Thank you. Yeah, I ship sh- them up here, please. Yeah, the Holden Malu is a part car and part truck. Holden Malou? I kind of like that thing. <laughs> it sounds like it should be a song. Holden a Malou. Vo- Voxel VXR8 oh, yeah, Malou. Sure, okay. Yeah, that's some of that stuff's pretty cool. There we I go. get into that. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. Last one, we have a voicemail from uh, Jonathan Colazzo. Go fire away. Hey, Chris. It's Jonathan Colazzo, one of the guys that follows you on Instagram. Um, I opened the package. I sent you a picture that I got the, the package of the photo. The photo is amazing and i think that's an understatement so i just wanted to call you and tell you um how much i appreciate it and yeah i love overpressing on you guys you guys are awesome so yeah just keep doing what you're doing and uh you know another way that i can support you guys but uh you know hopefully in the future i can i can do more all right man well uh talk to you soon take care all right thanks Thank we you, really Jonathan. appreciate the the kind words for sure. That's yeah. uh, that's nice to hear. And if you want your own print, 
patreon.com slash overcrest. You can sign up as a patron and we'll get you as well. And I sign every single one of them, you know, and if I know you are, I write as much as I can about our relationship. And, you know, I, I really appreciate some of the relationships that this podcast has given me that I didn't have before this. It's Are these signed prints going to be worth money someday, Chris? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they will not. They will not be. Okay. Well, they will not be worth a, a dime. So. But they are good looking, as Jonathan attested to. So. Yes. Cool. Next up is news. And as uh, Chris liked to coin the term, we read the news so you don't have to. Finding That's right. cool stories so you don't have to be inundated and scroll through Facebook all day. Um, so there's actually, we're kind of excited about this. There's a new TV show coming Anytime out. Anytime a new car show comes out, I'm always like, oh boy, here we go. Because there's so many bad ones. Right. I mean, they're just terrible. Just yes. junk. But well, this it's like one some guy dragging a car of a field or it's like a, a 50-year-old dude being like, yeah, I used to have this Camaro here. It's been sitting here for about 76 years, and I'm really not sure what to do with it. What's your offer? And I'm just, I can't take any more shows like that. Right. They're terrible. Agreed. It's, I don't believe that anybody watches them. Well, I don't know. They must. <laughs> I don't know why, but obviously they're, they're still only on wa- the air. They're watching them because there's nothing else there. But okay. here we go. Uh, okay. we got a new show coming out. Um, it's called Proving Grounds. And uh, my friend Lee Keen is actually one of the drivers sure. in uh, in the show. And then it's also um, – here, I'll, just, I'll read you a little bit here. Yeah. Um, Good car TV didn't start with Top Gear as much as it can feel that way sometimes, and it certainly hasn't ended there. Since we, like you, are always on the lookout for entertaining shows about fast, fun, and outrageously goofy machinery, we're happy that Proving Grounds has hit the airwaves on NBC Sports. Hosts Sam Smith, Parker Klagerman, and Lee Keen are, to put it mildly, wildly overqualified. Sam Smith is Road and Track's editor-at-large and a columnist for Car Magazine. Klegerman from the number 75 Chicago, Chicago, Chevy Silverado in NASCAR's Champion World Truck Series and Keen from his series like the Rolex Sports Car and American Le Mans. Every week, the trio assembles some of the best and wildest machines around and run them through their paces in a typical proving ground scenario. Usually that would mean mundane things like maneuverability and grip tests, but here it seems to entail smoking as much tire as possible and crashing into things. So <laughs> it's actually it's actually really, really good. They did have one, you watched it? I have. Okay, it, I haven't seen it yet. It's entertaining. I, I recommend everybody check it out. It's on NBC Sports. Yep. Um, it's, uh, so the first one aired on Sunday, October 21st, and it's going to be every Sunday after that at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. It's right after the NASCAR Cup Series airs. Yep, and it's NBC on NBC Sports. Sports app. I looked. I watched it on Oh, my you Xbox. can just wear it on the app. Wear it. Watch wear it. it. You can watch wear. It. You can. This television show is so good. You can wear it. Sure. Oh, maybe there's a T-shirt. Yeah. I'll, I'll let Lee know that's his new tagline. You can wear this television show. All right. All right. What's our next story here? Um, it is Ford cozying up to Volkswagen, and I've got that story. Yeah, I got it here. I can just read the headline. Yeah. Volkswagen and Ford mow wide-ranging partnership in e-mobility autonomous driving. So longtime rivals, keep in mind, Ford and Volkswagen, are considering joining forces to stay on top of massive investments in future technologies. So without going into the meat of the story here, my question is, is it becoming so cost prohibitive to innovate some of these technologies of like autonomous driving and electric vehicles that the consumer now apparently is demanding or people are telling us we need to demand that now these companies, these huge companies that you'd think have all the, you know, assets and everything else they need to do this investment. I think that they, they feel, have to partner now. They fe- think they're feeling a little overwhelmed by the, the speed at which they are required to uh, innovate because of Tesla. Yeah. They feel like, holy shit, we need to get this done right now. Um, I know that, uh, so Volkswagen and Ford are going to get together. Ford's actually going to get some of Volkswagen's modular car chassis. Okay. Is what I read that the they're MQB getting. The or whatever it's yeah, called, yeah. their so chassis. That's, that's really good for Ford, I think. You know, it really opens things up for them. And then maybe, here's what the other thing I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. 
and this goes into another news article that we have, is that maybe we'll get a Volkswagen truck. The Amarok. Not the Amarok. There's another one. Um, it's called the Terok. Okay. It was uh, the compact truck Terok shown Tuesday in San Paulo will soon be offered in Brazil, the company said in a statement. The truck has the potential to boost Volkswagen's model range in other global markets. So this is like a new truck. You know, what's the um, the Chevy that's the the it's got the stupid plastic on the back? The Avalanche? The Avalanche. It looks like an Avalanche, but good. Is the Avalanche still a thing? No. Okay. It's not a thing anymore. Um, it, so it looks like that, but good. And it's uh, it's... It's kind of in the Ranger, Colorado, Tacoma, Frontier kind of market. It's a little bit smaller than F-150. Or H3T. Yeah. Yeah. So all these aren't real trucks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is, yeah. is what you're saying? No, I'd buy um, The Terok will be sold with a two-liter engine that delivers 150 horsepower. VW didn't pr- provide anything on price. And one of the reasons why they don't have a truck here is because there's a 25% tax yes. on trucks that are imported. Yes. Unless you build them here. It's called the chicken tax? Truck tax? No, there's a name for it because there's something else lumped in with that. There's a story sugar? that I Is should it sugar? do. Sugar? Sugar tax? No, there's. I should do a story on that one because I've heard of this before. No, I don't know. It's why they can only sell, like, a, Toyota can sell the Tacoma and stuff because they assemble it and build it here in the U.S. Same with the Nissan Frontier and all those. Right, because they don't have to suffer. Right, you can't, like, build a truck in Germany and import But here's it. the deal. If Ford... Uh-huh. Is partners. Bar- partners with them and gets their platform, they'll just build it here exactly. right at Ford's plants yeah, and be I done. Like that so idea. maybe we'll get a Volkswagen truck. I like it. So cool. Also, um, I was going to do some Tesla news, but I don't care. I don't want to do it. You don't want to do this one? Nope. Not even I, this we'll one. We'll do the cliff notes. Okay. They, so they, Tesla, for the first time like ever, they uh, posted that they were making profit last quarter like 300 and something million dollars or something. A ton of it. Well, turns out that nearly 190 million of Tesla's Q3 profit was earned by selling regulatory credits, not actual sales revenue. So, what this comes what's down a, what's to what's a credit? What so, are a credit, these credits? It, this is the, the carbon credits. Yes, the carbon credits. So, uh, if you, what is it? How does that work? The government basically has an allotment or a cap of how many carbon credits you can produce as produce, an industry. Exactly. And so, if you don't use them all, you can sell them then on a carbon market. So, Tesla, of course, because they're electric vehicles, they don't produce that much carbon because, except for their because manufacturing companies process. That, because companies that go over their carbon credits have to buy them from, from the someone market. else to, to exactly. meet that. So, it's, what a, it's so, so stupid. stupid. What a scam. It really oh is. My God. So, all that Tesla is doing to make money is selling off their carbon credits to these other manufacturers. Yeah. So, they lied and said that we yep. made all this profit and then they got caught lying about it. Well, I don't know if they did they lie about it or just not disclose where the money came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess they're it's making profit. Guilt by omission, I would say. They're making profit. It's just not how you think it is. So Italy's own anti-terrorism unit of the iconic, so iconic, I've never heard of this. What the Carabinieri? Car- Carabinieri. Carabinieri. No, nope, Carabinieri. Okay. So it's just the Italian police force. Yeah. Has it's acquired all the Carabinieri. A fle- is. is it like the FBI or something? No, it's literally just their police force. It's just the police. Yeah. But it's got such a cool name. Yeah, Carabinieri. <laughs> yeah, right. they have like sweet like military vehicles and everything when I was out there. And so, yeah, they're like, they're badass. They've acquired and a fleet now- of specially outfitted Jeep Ger- Grand Cherokee SUVs to help combat the bad guys. And judging by the, I love the term bad guys. Right. It goes back to my childhood of being a young young boy. 
boy. Right. Get the bad guys. And judging by the long list of modifications performed, some of the which includes severe bulletproofing, these Jeeps will be able to fight the really bad guys. <laughs> um, this story is from Drive, by the way. They've got some really good stories. Yeah. I really like what they put out. Um, dressed in proper it- Italian uniforms and sporting blue strobe lights, the terrorism-fighting Jeep Grand Cherokee squad consists of 19 bulletproof vehicles, inc- according to some other website. These Jeeps are empowered by a 3-liter V6 diesel engine that produces 190 horsepower and have been kept stocked for the sake of efficiency and reliability. In comparison, the Eco Diesel engine offered in the Grand Cherokee offers 240 horsepower and 420 feet, pound feet of torque. Are you serious? That's, I didn't know that. That's crazy. That must huh. just be in every. That must just be. I wonder if that's uh, the police version only, where it's got that much torque. I don't think so. It's just the Eco Diesel engine offered in the Grand Cherokee in the U.S. Wow, 240 horsepower and 420 foot pound feet of torque. There you you go. know what my problem is? What? I've always said foot pounds of torque. And? It's wrong. It's pound feet of torque. I've <gasps> been fighting that my whole life. You're right. I never realized that. Just like at home, behind the European diesel engine is an eight speed automatic transmission. The suspension components have been upgraded for better on road capabilities and support the extra weight from bulletproofing and added components. The bu- speaking of bulletproofing, the body panels, windows, front windshield, and even the tires have been armored for much How do pr- you make tires bulletproof? Is it just run flats? I think it is. Okay. Because, yeah. Because they would be very heavy if not. <laughs> right. So I guess they must have a big terrorism problem over there. Either that or there's some, like, police guy that's got a budget. And he's like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, hey, call up Jeep right now. I got, yeah, like, 500,000 some... lira, or I guess it's euros to spend now. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Lira is Turkish. That's, no, lira was Italian. Is it? Well, before the euro. lira as well, as well. Well, they must not be on the euro then. Yep. Um, okay, next up, McLaren confirms Senna GTR performance specs. It includes 814 horsepower and, quote, mucho downforce. Mucho downforce. That's, That's what great. the things are. So up to 2,205 pounds of downforce from Senna GTR's colossal wing, splitter, and diffuser will exert itself through the, the widened carbon fiber body chassis. So the Senna GTR basically takes over for the P1, right? Is that kind of... I think so. That's kind of the I haven't really kept here. up with their model hierarchy but it's well they don't make the p1 anymore so this is right. kind of like the next and it kind of looks like kind of looks like one in a, in a way and in in it's in its shape or whatever yeah but it's just like yeah you're right it does why do we need i don't know it's just like we cont- there's it's we're so far removed from it i don't think we get it like if you're one of the 0.1 percenters here who just collects these things of course you want it the latest and greatest that has a ton worth of downforce who said it the um uh the top speed wars. Who made the the comment that the speed wars are over? I vaguely remember that. Yeah, someone was like, "The speed wars are over. It's done. It's stupid. It's what are we doing?" But yeah, right. we we continue. I mean, it's cool that we're continuing to advance the technology. Yeah. So it's, it's got a four liter twin turbo M eight forty T V eight engine used in most of McLaren's fastest cars. Will chew up boost gasoline to spit out eight hundred fourteen horsepower and five hundred ninety pound feet of torque just through the rear wheels. It's not all wheel drive. Zero so. sixty in two point eight seconds. Great quarter mile in nine point nine seconds. So it's, if you want to bring somebody a ten second car, that's a ten that's second the, car. <laughs> that's the one. Dominic you're Toretto. Yeah, that's right. Um, but they're going to make seventy five of these. They they only made five hundred of the regular Senna. Yeah. Also, I wonder how Senna would feel about his name being appropriated into a car. I don't know. I'm, I, that'd be kind of cool as long as it's a cool car, which it seems like it is. I guess. Um, every one of the one point four million hypercars sold out before their public announcement. Yes. So that's how cool you are when you can just take people's money and they don't even know what you're doing they don't even know what the car's like good they point just, they just have yeah. no it's just yeah that's obviously it's gonna be good so yeah 
All right. Do you want to read this next one? Uh, this one is kind of going to... Did you read this at all? No, I didn't. So this will kind of make you a little bit mad, and it makes me mad. Okay. Um, the powers... This is in Austria. Okay. The powers that be have tried countless ways to incentivize electric vehicle ownership and bring about the magic tipping point of widespread adoption. Mm -hmm. um, there are state and federal tax credits, blah, 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 blah. Um, Austria has passed a new law to raise the speed limit for electric vehicles only. Okay. So to, to be able to drive this faster speed... You have to own an electric vehicle. Okay. Unlike uh, neighboring Germany, Austria's Autobahn network has a general speed limit of 130 kilometers an hour, which is about 80. But the country also uses a unique speed-based pollution management program on about 20% of its roads near population centers. When the air quality drops below a certain threshold, the speed limit in turn drops down to 60 from 80. So basically what you're going to be able to do, you drive an electric car, you can go 80 whenever you want. Yeah. So this is like... As I'm all, I'm constantly harping on about this chipping away. Yeah. Now you're being punished for driving a combustion engine. You need to drive slower while all these guys in these fancy electric cars can drive whatever speed they want. How? To. What? Are they going to have special license plates? Like, how are you distinguishing who has the electric vehicle? Because at some point, I mean, you're, a lot of these cars you can't tell. Well, you can kind of tell now. I mean, yes, you know a Tesla is electric versus something else, but like a Ford Fusion has a electric only mode. Their Ford Fusion Hybrid has electric-only mode. Sounds like a law enforcement problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So why can't I have my old 911 be like, well, it's uh, electric converted, sir? <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's an extreme case, but I just don't understand how they're going to enforce that. What, what Does it sound fun driving faster in your electric car? No. I mean, and if this... you read later down in the article here, it says there is an issue. Um for one, hammering an electric vehicle on the Autobahn might seem like an eco-friendly fun, but it's not exactly efficient. Having to charge more often could very well cancel out the minutes saved by not slowing down in the aggregate. Without a dedicated line, your lane, you're relying just on like people not sitting in the left lane so you can pass them. All right. Anyway, I, I hate this. I think it's bullshit. It makes me makes me upset. But it's just a perfect example of how I was right. It's just all this is what it's going to be. It's going to be all these little things adding up mm -hmm. slowly but surely. It's going to become more and more and more of a hassle to drive your combustion. It's not going to be illegal, mm -hmm. but it's going to be more and more of a hassle to drive your combustion engine car. They're just going to make it a pain. That's, that's what I they're going to do. I wonder if you're going to need a permit at some point. Y you already do. You need a permit to drive uh, certain cars in certain areas in England. Yeah, I suppose. Or you pay taxes. Right. What What is a tax but like a permit, right? You need yeah. a, you know, you get tax credits for buying uh, an economical car. You buy a gas guzzler car. You pay for that. That's basically buying a permit sure. to be able to buy that car. So they're already doing it. But it's going to add, it's all going to keep keep on adding up. And none of this stuff's going to go away. So they're not going to like take right. some of this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's all going to like stack up. That's the whole political thing. It's hard to get rid of laws. It's easy yeah. to enact them. Well, on that note, we're going to cut it short because we're at about an hour and a half. Um, wow. We're going to do the Craigslist Car of the Week. I'm going to save this one for next week because I really like this car. Yeah. Eric is going to be upset with me, and now uh, he's probably upset with me now just for even mentioning his name because he knows what I'm going to talk about next week on <laughs> Craigslist Car of the Week. So uh, we're going to leave it at that. Leave it at that. Please hop over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Yep. Head over to patreon.com slash overcrest and support the people that you like when they create things. You know, that should be... Is that us? That's us. I do the same thing. Everybody out there should support what they like. So head on over and uh, support us if you if you give a shit. Um, that's about all I've got. What do you got, Jake? That No, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Take care, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.